We have now entered into 2023, and all kinds of things have happened and are happening that could spark spiritual curiosity as to the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Joe Kane and I will discuss and unleash how so many of the eye-popping things, at the very least, seem to line up with what Scripture proclaims. This episode of Keeping It Real will not be a source of fear-mongering nor pressure-building. Instead, the goal will be to be informative and issue a call to be counterintuitive towards a world system that is anti-Christ. Welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast. Only tired of fake stuff? Shouldn't we turn down a stale brand of living? It's time to open our hearts to Christ. It's time to keep it real. Here's your host, Ollie G. Okay, so we are here with the first episode of the year 2023 here on the Keeping It Real podcast. I'm your host, Ollie G, and we are going to jump right in to right before our eyes. Show here is called Today, not only today, but also uh, the next episode of the podcast. We're kind of breaking a little bit from the normal rhythm that we've been having or that's been established on the podcast in that Joe is going to be on for two straight shows or two straight episodes uh, of the podcast. So there's going to be a part one and a part two. Obviously, part one will be today. Again, entitled Right Before Our Eyes, Biblical Prophecy Unveiled. Joe, thanks for uh, making the drive over here on this New Year's Eve uh, that we are um, doing this episode of the podcast. You know, you've done a number of things uh, here in regards uh, to the Keeping It Real website and some things around my house. Greatly appreciate your uh, servant's heart. When you think of uh, just even the whole concept of prophecy, what's on your heart? Well, first, the first thing I want to say is just so they know which Joe you're talking about, it's KIRR Radio's Joe King. <laughs> okay. uh, we got it. We got to definitely yeah. nip that in the bud. Yes. Yeah. Also known as Pastor Joe King. Pastor, right. <laughs> and having said that, I mean, listen. You and I agree on an awful lot. We also disagree on some things. And the beauty of uh, yours and I's brotherhood is to know that even in the midst of those disagreements, we are brothers in Christ, man. And that bond can't ever be broken. And we've got a love for one another uh, that goes far beyond um, any uh, technical difficulties that we may have as far as disagreements (laughs) that arise. So over 20 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Praise God for that. Praise God, man. It's been a long time. Um, so what what you have a question for me? Yeah. Well, so I thought we would jump right in. Um, first of all, before I actually ask you uh, any question, I thought we'd lead off reading a passage of scripture. Okay. Because um, when we get into this whole concept of biblical prophecy, one of the things I don't want to do, and I think you'll kind of be right in line with this, is I don't want to be like uh, uh, some very familiar or famous preachers. Uh, that address the subject uh, ad nauseum mm-hmm. and plug in biblical references into what's going on in the current day and have everybody fearful and thinking that Christ is coming today. Now, Christ certainly can come today, okay? But according to these biblical preachers, Jesus should have come uh, 50,000 times over in the last 30 years, right. you know, they, they use a biblical reference and they plug it into a hot button issue that's going on in our news cycle. And then they just think, Oh, Jesus is coming, uh, any moment now. 
Right. And I certainly think you would probably tend to agree that we don't want to be about that. Um, we uh, want to be a lot more uh, honoring of the scriptures, just kind of laying out what the scriptures say, and then looking at what's going on in our current day and going, yeah, this could this could very well be, um, or we could look at another issue and go, this could very well be, but certainly we do not have the pipeline <laughs> to the Father that gives us the absolute um, absolutism of saying, oh yeah, this is actually what this scriptural reference means. Uh, we, we, we wouldn't say that, but we can certainly surmise on a number of things. So I want, having said that, I want to read Revelation chapter three, because we were talking a little bit off air here. Mm -hmm. And actually you made a reference to the Laodicean church period. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought uh, some of your thoughts were interesting and um, would be uh, interested to hear them all the more. You elaborate on these things and also just letting the listening audience know what your thoughts were and what you relayed to me as far as us talking about biblical prophecy. Okay. Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse 14, it says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, this is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That is the description that Jesus, these words are in red, <laughs> that Jesus gave to the Laodicean church. Revelation chapter 3, verses right. 14 through 17. So now... And what version is that? A new, new Living Translation. New living translation. Um, but uh, that lingo there, uh, I think, is pretty similar from translation to translation. Uh, in that passage. So now my question to you is, why do you believe we are in the Laodicean period? And what scriptural evidence is there to support such a claim? Okay. First, you asked me not to use too much scripture, which I have a hard time doing. So I'll do my best. When did I say that? Well, it wasn't, we wanted to not sensationalize. Oh, okay. All right. Our discussion and prophecy can use it by using scripture out of context right okay so, yeah you know, i'm glad you clarified that i'm like what would a, i ever say that don't use scripture conversation okay on prophecy and less on scriptural references in the prophecy more so than anything else i think is what you and you uh when we first started the show hmm. um so the reason why i think that we are if you read all of the churches in chapter three sure um the church emulates all of them Mm -hmm. one way or another i think more so the laodicean church than any of the other churches right now and um at the church that i'm a pastor at the pastor a pastor at right now we've been talking about we're actually doing a whole study on the book of revelation and we went through all of those churches and the the issue with the laodicean church is this picture of godliness and holiness, but living lascivious, lying, deceiving, um, putting on a show. And so there's this, there's this picture of, of, of being hot for God on fire is the term that we use today. Mm -hmm. And, but in reality, they're as cold as ice. They're extremely lukewarm people. It's the best time period in all of world history, I believe 
where everybody can go and find a church that tickles their ears and makes them feel happy because they left being encouraged, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, feeling good about themselves uh, and really never really dealing with the issue of sin, never really dealing with the issue of am I living a life that is reflecting Christ, Christ being holy? Is my life reflecting holiness? Am I really being sanctified in my living and all of those things? And what you're seeing today is just doesn't exist. I mean, you have preachers out of the woodwork that are coming out that people spend thousands and thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and they give to these people and they're just filling their minds with a bunch of lies and the people are going, but that's God because God is on the move. Mm-hmm. God is always God's God's moving all the time. I mean, it's it's not like God's never been on the move. Right. It's like this is a time period we all be, we need to be excited because God's on the move. And and you know one of the things I think is important is since the since the ascension of Christ, the disciples expected Christ to return in their lifetime. We would be remiss not to be responding the same way. Paul exhorts us to be that way always being ready always expecting his return is his return imminent absolutely is his return could his return be today absolutely that being said how should you be living Mm -hmm. and if you are living righteous and godly lives then who in the heck are your teachers Mm. who are you following who are you going to church and letting them shepherd you and okay, what so, you're seeing is the Laodicean church is a result of that. Okay, so because you really took us down about three or four different roads mm-hmm. in answering that question, Correct. which is totally fine. Yeah. That's fine because, I mean, really, we any one of these questions that I have in the line of questioning, we could spend a whole show on, mm-hmm. uh, probably even more. thing that came to my mind as I heard you riff on the God is on the move concept and people looking to be encouraged and people looking to get their ears scratched versus, you know, something different or else. Here's what comes to my mind. We have been so accustomed to uh, wanting to feel good in our Western culture, because let's be honest. I mean, listen, that's human, human nature, right? We want to be encouraged. We want to feel better mm-hmm. about who we are. We want to feel better about ourselves because there's there's a lot of heartache and there's a lot of disappointment and there's a lot of frustration. You know, I deal with this on a daily basis, just even within my job. Um, people I have to listen to people in, in the tough times that they're going through. And if we take your descriptions of the church, which I very much echo that, I very much I, I listen, I've I totally acknowledge that and agree with that, that wish list that people have when they uh, look to hear a preacher or they want to be exposed to some experience. Now let's compare, or should I say contrast that to the way how the early church was. Okay. Okay. The early church, yeah, they were encouraged with one another. As they experienced community and body life with one another, they got encouraged, but more often than not, they faced extenuating circumstances that you or I can't even begin to imagine, okay? The Apostle Paul, let's just, he's the extreme example, but we'll start with him. He was butchered, you know, he was beaten. He was thrown in prison, not in an American jail. Right. He was thrown in, in a Roman prison. 
and chain linked to another prisoner, no bathroom, no three square meals a day, probably barely got anything to eat, was in a cold, damp place, uncomfortable, didn't get a change of clothes, I'm guessing. Mm. Um, so the stench was bad. He had no friends, loneliness, all of the things that come with that element of being in the prison that he was in, and yet still had the incredible, this this incredible thing within him, or should I say, this one within him, to praise and worship the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the only way that maybe we can get some people to legitimately praise and worship the Lord is under the most extreme comfortable circumstances today. Right. Um, and there's such a stark contrast in those two pictures. So you are, I think, very right and accurate in laying out that picture uh, for our listeners here today. And I think it also would be amiss if we wouldn't contrast that with the way how things were uh, back at that time. Because do you think we might enter back into a time like that? Or is there potential for us to enter into a time back like that? real quickly, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because there are going to be more questions pertaining to that later on in this show and in the next part that we're going to do. Okay. Um, the church in general worldwide is going through times like that. Mm. We, I was speaking more of a Western. Yeah. From a Western perspective, not so much. No, we will never, the, the church in, 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 in the Western world will never get to that point. At that point, if we ever gotten to that point, the rapture, will happen and we're going to be out because because at, at that point you're at another level of evil so for those churches that are already living that way it gets exponentially worse for mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. as it gets worse for us right so they're already experiencing that and the western world isn't the problem is the western world has too much control and i didn't mean the western world in general like we're talking about all the Western societies. Right, right. Right? Um, has too much power and control over society. And we're too technical, technologically advanced to ever get to that point. If if it ever gets to that point, we are we are in the we are in the middle of the of 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 Jacob's trouble, you know, and people are refusing to take the mark and their heads are getting cut off. And that's the reality. Because mm. that's really when you think about the early church. I mean, they were being used as light posts and burned yeah. to put light into the city. We're we're never going to get to that point. Okay. And, and too many preachers have got to stop stating that the reality is we we are a we are a very disobedient people. Okay. That brings I don't I gotta cut in here because that brings me right to my next question. Then I'm gonna let you just really kind of kind of blow more at us as far as really continuing on that wavelength. Okay. Do you believe most Christians are in tune with this Laodicean prospective reality? Why or why not? I don't I don't think they look at themselves as Laodicean in their in their life lifestyle. I'm talking about the, the modern church, especially here in America. It's just not even on their radar. No, because okay. they're enjoying you're enjoying church too much. I mean, mm. think about it. Mm -hmm. When when you can go, I'm going to say, oh boy, I got to say this. Um, I watched a little video on Justin Bieber and him saying he was sick and tired of religion and he's sick and tired of 
you know, he just wants God. And then he puts on this amazing concert in the middle of a church service. Mm-hmm. Right. What they would, they would call church. Mm-hmm. You know, there are churches every Sunday putting on a show mm-hmm. and none of them mm-hmm. are dealing with the reality of holy living. Mm-hmm. The, the, the marker of a good. So it's a lot performance space. It's always performance space mm-hmm. for many, mm-hmm. not saying all mm-hmm. for, for, for many, there is no obedience. Mm-hmm. Obedience is the marker of worship, right? Worship is obedience. In the mind of a Jew, how you worship God, Yahweh, is obedience. And that, and it's obedience to every letter of the law that they have, which is well over 600 laws, you know? So, And real quickly, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there, but okay. I, I just feel really compelled to kind of just come in here because this is something that I was, uh, I was exposed to that I heard just recently. And it reaffirmed uh, a conviction that I've had for some time. And that is I, what I heard was a lot of folks, especially Christians, they already know in a lot of instances, maybe not in every single one, but in a lot of instances, they know what the call to obedience is or what it looks like. They already have that ticker working in them, and yet they are still choosing to not being willing to place that on the altar or to sacrifice that or to break away from that to be obedient to the Lord. That, I think, is in essence what you were just describing or talking about in that it isn't just an obedience to an unknown thing. Like they need this message of like, cause most Christians know what the 10 commandments say, let's get real. Right? right. Or they know what a lot of the other commandments of scripture say. They've been in church circles long enough to know kind of what God's word says on a lot of matters in life, but they are not willing to break away because they are not willing to sacrifice their idol, their idol of their allegiance to comfort. Would that be fair? I, I would say, yeah, mm-hmm. but I'll, I would also say, Sadly, that the vast majority of churches are fulfilled with unbelievers. Yeah, all who have, absolutely yeah. who have acclaimed that they're believers. Absolutely, yeah. Who have done the religious thing, though they say they hate religion, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Laodicean church is within the church of Corinth, like that. Correct. Mm-hmm. But even the Laodicean church would be what you would consider uh, Jesus over religion. It's one of the things that I'm like driving me nuts. Like I'm, I, I've thought about it for a while now, especially since that book came out, uh, you know, Jesus hates religion. No, he doesn't. And the Laodicean church is an example of a non-religious church, mm. right? Religion is a lifestyle. James one twenty seven tells you what true religion is. Mm. Mm. True religion is to care for the orphans and widows and their distress and to, kill, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So guess what church? Yes. Religion is serving others and living holy. That's the reality. Okay. What I will say is, and this is where we're point, you know, this is where I love you, right? And yeah. and love each other all the way until eternity and through eternity, right? Yeah. Um, I agree with everything you said. The part that maybe I disagree with a little bit is not an allegiance to religious living, but an allegiance, an allegiance to the one that we have a relationship with. Correct. And that is when someone is so absorbed so obsessed with Jesus Christ and being a follower and a living out one of the kingdom of God, that all of those things, they don't even come into play. They don't want to be entertained. 
Sure. They don't want a sideshow. They don't want this cheap, way distant, you know, thing that takes them away from an intimate relationship and an intimate following of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Because in essence, that is what the disciples and those few women that he poured into, that's why it was bad. When they laid their nets down, it wasn't just about, oh, I'm going to give up fishing and following Jesus wherever he goes. They sacrificed their livelihood. That's all Peter knew right. was to be an amateur fisherman. He wasn't even very good at it, as right. evidenced on the day all night where he didn't catch anything. And then Jesus gave him the catch of a lifetime. It was forsaking their livelihood. It was forsaking everything that they knew to follow Christ and Christ be their everything. Right. Because from that point forward, it was all about Jesus. It wasn't about, oh, you know, what was my catch of the day? Did I meet my quota? Am I going to be able to pay my debt off? It, none of that stuff mattered anymore. Right. So let me now kind of shift back a little bit, right, to what we talked about from the jump and also that the way that you've answered the first couple of questions on the podcast here today. Explain the difference between the popular fear-mongering of many preachers versus having more of a spirit-led approach to biblical prophecy. Now, we've talked a lot about the comfortable <laughs> atmospheric yeah. types within church circles today. Well, now there's also this, this fear-mongering approach, which is also an error, right? There are all kinds of different camps, and they're all filled with with error and 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 nonsense. What's the difference between those preachers versus having a more spirit-led approach to biblical prophecy? Um, so what you have now is the, the sensationalized approach to biblical prophecy, all based on the what most people would say would be what it was one of the most amazing series called Left Behind. Right. I was gonna allude that, but you beat me <laughs> so, to it. Go ahead. So Left Behind is probably one of the most dangerous series of biblical prophecy in that if so that series that series came out and then all of a sudden everybody was like yeah rapture this rapture that right yeah, yeah. and then shortly thereafter we had y2k right and yeah. and then all of the computers are going to shut down and then that's when jesus is going to return right yeah and then we had the recession of 09 and oh boy you know we're just in economic turmoil and this is when jesus is going to come back well now it's the yeah. year almost 2023 starting tomorrow right. and we're still here and go ahead i'll let you take it from there so, so here and so you have these men who and maybe some women i haven't read any of the books by prop by on prophecy from women but um who have pushed an agenda to that has brought about a deception in the church today right that is so hyper sensational mm. that they have lost total and complete focus on biblical truth it appeals to emotion doesn't it it absolutely does and yeah. so then you know after you had that then you had 911 9-11 right brought about the the um the up and coming Jonathan Kahn and the Harbingers. And now there's mm. Harbingers to the return of Christ and there's Harbingers. And you got people that are spending money um, listening to these men who are just selling you books mm -hmm. mm. when they're not really spending time in the word. Right. Right. Okay. Preach um, it brother. Amen. And so that's, that's a problem. That doesn't mean that there's not some um, system, right. Of, of how prophecy is being fulfilled. But 
it's not we're not looking at it looking at it specifically from the lens of biblical amen. truth amen yeah right do i believe in the rapture yes absolutely do sure. i believe in do i believe in the in the seven-year tribulation uh daniel 70th week yes mm. do i think it's exactly how left behind and some of these other preachers are teaching it or trying to sell books on it no mm, there you go bring it all right so um we have to be extremely careful when we're looking at biblical prophecy that we read it as god has intended it not how our imagination defines it well and see the problem is what actually these preach preachers and ministers are doing is they are taking biblical references and plugging it into a current event within our news cycle and going aha that's exactly what the bible's talking about there's no way for any of us to even know that that's yeah. really the case and as evidence as with all these things that have transpired we see that they haven't been the case correct so i complete agreement with you on that that yes we should just stick with the scriptures it's not to say that somebody couldn't have an accurate uh commentary on something that's going on correct but goes back to the point where you use the word sensationalism i use the phrase appealing to emotion where that seems to be so abundantly evident over the last how many years decades yeah. where this has been uh and and it, and it has uh, led so many astray from real substantive Christian Christ-like living. Yeah. One of the things I think we got to be careful with, and this is just my opinion mm -hmm. on this subject, dispensational theology is accurate, but we cannot apply dispensational, dispensational ideas to eschatology. Okay. You just, you brought out some big fancy words that maybe some in our listening audience don't know. I'll maybe clarify it. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Dispensational mm -hmm. means basically a time, a certain time period is one dispensation. And then that dispensation ends. And then there's another time period that we would classify as another dispensation. Actually, I have a dispensational chart right up here right. on my wall that kind of lays that out. Where and, God in a particular time period uses a particular person or people. Mm -hmm. And then, and when he's done that, you know, moves a, on to a new the, dispensation begins, right? Correct. And so we would be under the dispensation of the church. And then eschatology deals with the teachings of the end, end times, times, which right. cannot be. And I, it, I it, some scholars would argue with me, and some pastors would argue with me, and that's fine. We're not, I'm not here to argue, just you know, to agree or disagree right. on this issue. But when you're looking at biblical prophecy, especially the 70th week of Daniel, though that is a dispensation of time, how the events that happen cannot be placed in a dispensational period, mm -hmm. okay? That's important because there are many prophecies that are being fulfilled right now, such as the Euphrates River and such as so many, so many other things um, that are happening, the joining of China and Russia and some of these other things. We need to be careful that we're not applying dispensationalism specifically to eschatology because when you do that, now you have placed... Well, that means that the rapture has to happen at this time and and then, you know, and then which is true, the rapture will happen and the and then the church, once the church is gone, then the evil one would be revealed. Like we there are certain scriptures we clearly understand, but there's a lot of things you got to be careful with when you're looking at dispensationalism mm. within the eschatology, well, because end times prophecy, right, which we're talking about. So we we need to see the scripture for what it says and mm. understand that right. because I'm being honest with you. We're missing things 
because we're too stuck in the dispensational eschatology, right? Well, we're too stuck in that. And and I would venture to say, to go to your earlier point, we're just too stuck in people looking to get what they want. Correct. They're looking for the preachers to scratch their ears. They're looking for something that's going to give them the warm fuzzies or an encouraging or a satisfactory feeling to uh, their life. And if you look at the early church or you look at really the people of God all throughout history, it wasn't like that. No. I mean, that now that brings me to uh, my so the next... early church. It was always the now. It was Jesus is coming now. Well, it's it was Jesus, never. It you know, was we, Jesus. They were never looking at, well, this has to happen. This has to happen. This has to happen. Right. Well, and it, it, they looked at Jesus is coming now, but they also looked at Jesus is our everything. We're not right. looking for making sure that everything sounds right with our praise and worship team. Correct. We're, we're not looking at, well, do we have sufficient lighting for our building? They didn't even meet in buildings. Okay. Yeah. They didn't look at, oh, well, we've got to make sure we have the proper attire on to, you know, all of these things that have become of essence for the last how many years were not in on the radar. I mean, it would have been a foreign concept to those folks. Those folks were all about, we want our lives for Christ to shine. And how can we have that shine? And we are out, we're going to go out and preach the gospel. And we realize that this could cost us our lives and it could cost us our lives today. Like, right. It was the like immediate. They was... really had a gut check, reality check on the daily, realizing that we may not see tomorrow. Yeah. Because... It was the immediate living of obedience now. Well, obedient, but their lives and... were so radical. Yeah. But it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. And here's why I want to say that is that because they expected the eminence of Christ's return that very day, any moment, Hmm. they had determined to live in such a way that would bring about the sacrifice of their life, the the sacrifice of their their desires, them being obedient in everyday living. Those were important things. Mm -hmm. And we're missing that. Right. The reason why we're missing that is because we're too stuck on, well, these things have to happen in order for this to happen. So I got time. You don't have time. Yeah. Right. The time is now. See, and the reason, and I would venture to say again, especially here in the West, again, and and, and most of the people, if not all the people that are going to listen to this live here in the West. Um, And and, and listen, we live in the West and, and I don't apologize for that. It's where we are. It's where we were birthed. Chances are, I mean, I was born in Delaware. I now live in PA. I mean, this is where God has placed me. Right. I mean, we don't apologize for that. What, however, comes with that is we have to be careful that we do not get drug into this Western life, even amongst so many professing Christians where um, we are so comfortable that we are not living such radical lives for Christ. What, Like the, the comforts have taken over. Yeah. You know, now I want to dive into uh, the remnant because that's really where this is pointing. Quickly to describe who the remnant is. In the book of Isaiah, especially, Isaiah describes a remnant of people. It's a small group of people that were Jewish, that were Israelites, uh, when they were getting ready to be taken captive. And while they were in captivity, there was this small group of people that had a radical love for the Lord. They were sold out to Christ. Mm -hmm. And they were the different. They were the different people. They were seen as the oddballs. They were seen as the crazies or what have you amongst the population at large, even the population at large that was taken into captivity. Right. So that's who the remnant was. Would you care to elaborate on that? Like who was the remnant of the Old Testament in Isaiah's time? 
And will there be opportunities for a remnant in our current time? Okay. And I know that the, you're probably going to allude to people in other places. I would venture to say there are. I haven't been there. I haven't been able to see it firsthand or experience it. I've heard of testimonials of it, that being the case. Mm -hmm. Will there be opportunities for a remnant in our current time or in looking ahead to live for the kingdom of God as they did back in Isaiah's time? So yes and yes. Mm. Praise God all, for that. Yeah. So first of all, um, there will always be a remnant because mm. God says, I, I have a remnant. It's God who has set aside a remnant of people for himself who are completely committed and sold out to him for the purpose of his, his gospel, his kingdom. There will always be a remnant. What's, what's the marker of a remnant, a holy and obedient people. Mm. That's, that is, they are sold out, willing to sacrifice everything for, mm. right? That's a holy and obedient people. God says, be holy for I am holy. Be right? holy for I am holy. If you love me, you will obey me. Praise like, God. That's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. That people don't like that because it requires that they sacrifice, but that's the remnant, mm -hmm. a holy and obedient people. Mm -hmm. So there are whole, there are groups of holy and obedient people all over the globe, mm -hmm. and even here in America. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to clarify something real quick for a listening audience: is that uh, does that equate to perfection? Does holiness mean perfection? No, right? Okay. Holiness is I'm I am sanctified because of Christ. Christ is my holiness. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, of course, agree wholeheartedly that um, holiness doesn't equate to perfection. That's not what we're after here. What it means, though, is that there is a growth in faith process that is taking place, I would say. I would venture to say that you would probably coincide with that. There is this continuing change. It's not a change just at the point where someone receives Christ as their Savior. There is this continual change that's taking place. Uh, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, and the 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 the, uh, the 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 verse of that show was Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, things are become new. And and really, the Greek implication there is is that not only do they become new at the point of salvation, but they they continue becoming more new Correct. as time rolls along. It's the opposite of how a car depreciates. We appreciate. We yeah. grow in appreciation of our Lord. We adore our Lord more. We're more obsessed with our Lord. We pledge more and more allegiance to our Lord because of how much we love him because we know he has first loved us. Right. So you can you care to elaborate that on uh, some more when hammering on this holiness concept as you have here in this episode. Yeah, so what happens is uh, when we're looking at the issue of holiness, we look at it from the old holiness preachers, this idea of legalism. Mm. And it's not an issue of legalism. It's an issue of, an issue of surrender. Mm. So a holy person surrenders his mind, his emotions, his desires, his body, um, all that he is, he surrenders day by day, moment by moment to the will and purpose of Christ who lives in him. That's really the essence of let us deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow, follow him, him, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. So Christ becomes the king and master of Amen. our lives through our lives mm -hmm. as we daily, regularly give ourselves to him um, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, for this is your reasonable 
active worship Romans 12 1. yeah and I tell you here's here's you know you mentioned legalism and and that's that's the one camp the other camp is liberalism which is another right. camp that's so far outside of scripture right. um but you get back on the legalistic point for just a second um you know it, it's not just measuring up to a do's and don'ts list but it's also people feeling like oh well God's not God's going to be mad at me. You know, God's not going to be happy with me if I, I mess up here or if I don't quite measure up here. Well, hello. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm at the front of the line for that. That's an you excuse. Know? Yeah. yeah. It's like God's not like that. God is infinite in his mercy. God is so loving. And it's not to say that God oh, just, you know, puts up with our shortcomings and doesn't pay any attention to them, or he wants us stuck in a lukewarm way about us or something like that. That's not to say that, but it's the goodness of God. It's the love of Christ, as it says in Corinthians, Paul's told the Corinthians, the love of Christ compels me right. to do the things that I do. Um, and that's, it's all know, about, it's all we, we alluded to that church earlier that had yeah. all kinds of issues to it. Um, and, and, you know, we see a lot of Corinthian aspects in our current culture. Yeah, the Laodicean church did not have a surrendered heart. Right, right. And that's really what the issue of a war lukewarm How do you heart is. So we're running out of time. We kind of have to put a wrap on this show. We're going to get back to a whole host of other things and revisit some of these things in, in, in the next show, part two uh, of this little mini series. Yeah. Um, how do you foresee a remnant of devoted sold out Christ followers getting treated in the days ahead. Well, we're going to be hated. Mm. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you mm. because really, truly different people are so different that it is total, totally not on, only anti-cultural in the world, but it's anti-cultural in, in, in the church world. Mm. Right. Um, would you say it's counterintuitive? It will come off as counterintuitive. It'll come off as anti-church, mm. but it's not anti-Christ. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's one of the, And it's they, really not anti-church either, right? Well, not really. Yeah, because like, the gonna, church is the body. Yeah, and yeah. Paul lays out this beautiful picture in Corinthians, you know, what good is the arm without the foot? And what good is the foot without, you know, he... he equates the human body to the body of Christ and how we are all so interconnected and all so dependent on one another as far as doing body life, family life together. Yeah. And so I think when you're alluding to church, it's the way how the what the church has become. And here it's in defined our day. itself. Yeah. Um, right now, the church, the, the some of her leaders, I wouldn't say her leaders, but some of the leaders that say they're connected to the church um, have coined these, this term churched and unchurched. Mm. So people that go to church are churched and people yeah. who don't go to church are unchurched. Yeah. The church can't do nothing yeah. without Christ. So if I, if I go to an animal vet place, you know, am I, am I animal? No, yeah. <laughs> that means you're an animal. Yeah. Right. So, so, but that's because I, I don't reside there. I'm on the animal. No. So we, I'm proud we, to be on the animal. Yeah. So what we've done is we've taken on an authority uh, and a claim that's not ours to take. When in reality, Christ has already defined what it is lost and saved, right? Saint sinner, mm -hmm. um, a child of God versus a child of wrath. That's the reality. We have to get over this idea that, you know, it can be softened. It can't be. God doesn't soften it. He doesn't call it churched and unchurched. He calls it lost and saved. Well, he calls it 
in Christ and then everybody else. Correct. Yeah. And so when you when you when we're looking at the world today, we have um made our message uh I would say not only Christless but sinless. Mm. It doesn't have any sin in it because, you know, sin is offensive. And so what you have as a result of a gospelless church mm. is the Laodicean church. Mm. Well, I tell you what, I think we'll leave it there. I think that'll be some food for thought for people go. as uh, we get ready to head into part two, which I greatly encourage everybody to tune into here next time on Keeping It Real. Oh, 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 oh,